Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the Edgar Rice Burroughs podcast, where we celebrate the work of the greatest adventure writer of the 20th century. Uh, my name is Tim DeForest. Uh, I am the author of several books on the early 20th century popular culture, uh, such as the pulp magazines that Burroughs normally published his works in. And today, I will just say before introduce before my podcast uh, co-hosts introduce themselves, I'm going to say that we are going to be talking about the Bur Burroughs' novel, I Am a Barbarian, uh, which was unpublished in his lifetime. And I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. Um, so Jess, do you want to introduce yourself? Well, my name is Jess Terrell, and you might know me from Facebook, where I am the lead admin at the Facebook discussion group for the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs. 6,500 plus strong. We talk ERB pretty near 24-7. Would love to have you join us the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I'm Scott Stewart, setting up new studio space in the beautiful state of Colorado. We'll be bringing out products uh, a little later this year for a randomized spotlight, and you can bet a lot of it's going to have to do with uh, Barbarians, Jungle Adventures, and all good things, ERB. Okay, and um, well, let's see. <laughs> yep, before we start talking about the book today, I believe I just heard the apes of Kershak reminding us that before we jump into our discussion of the novel, we do have several special features this time around. Jess, you were at the at the Dum Dum in San San Antonio last week, weren't you? Yes, indeed I was. Uh do you have a report for us? By golly, I just happen to have one here handy. Shall I go through it? Sure, I think so. All right. Um, Dum Dum uh, ran from June 2 to June 4. This was indeed in, in uh, San Antonio, organized by Jim Goodwin, who uh, helps me out as a fellow admin there at For the Love of All Things Edgar Rice Burroughs, a longtime bibliophile. And he's been involved with some Dum Dums and fan gatherings before. Jim always does a fine job. And by golly, uh, his, his, uh, his attention to detail was certainly on display in this event. It was a well-run event. Uh, it was from June 2 to June 4, San Antonio, as stated. Um, uh, attendance was just under 50, one or two shy of 50, which is a good turnout. Our, our first day, June 2, provided us with a tour of Buckhorn Hall of Horns. I took perhaps 200 pictures in this place. It was room after room after room of primarily stuffed animals uh, from all, all walks of life. Yeah, stuffed animals from all walks of life and all around the world. Um, it was a really fascinating display. And also in that same facility was the Texas Rangers Museum, which I, I really uh, was, was deeply moved by. The, the Texas Rangers I'm familiar with are, are cowboys on television, but these were real-life lawmen uh, during, you know, certainly back in, in the Wild Wild West days, but also most definitely coming forward into the 20th century, into the 21st century. People who, uh, as, as they say in the Jedi business, people who uh, protected the innocent and preserved the peace. In fact, I even, uh, with all due reverence and respect intended, I, I, I describe them as the Jedi Knights of the Lone Star State. And I mean that with the utmost respect. Uh, the, that particular exhibit was very moving to me. Uh, lots of fine pictures, lots of uh, displays of uniforms, big hats, and, uh, and uh, the weaponry that they use, all of which was very interesting. That was the Texas Ranger Museum there as a part of the Buckhorn Hall of Harns. You can spend an afternoon in this place easily. And they serve food too. Uh, 
<laughs> on top of everything else, they serve food. And I saw some uh, cold, refreshing beverages of uh, various um, alcoholic content wondering about, but I did not partake of those. Uh, also on that same day, this being uh, June 2, we uh, visited the Alamo, paid reverence there, and also uh, went down to the Riverwalk. And now walking during all of this, by the way, beautiful area, the Riverwalk, uh, lots of shops, um, outdoor uh, patio type areas, or restaurants and businesses there lined up and down the Riverwalk that goes on for a few miles. It's a great, if you go to San Antonio, you got to visit the Riverwalk. Probably ought to stop by and pay homage to the um, Alamo and, and the state of Buckhorn Hall of Harns to fix you up with some good, good food. So that was June 2nd. Now, so June 3 and 4 were presentations. Now, the, the, the hotel where the facility, the facility hosted the Dum Dum for 20, what year is this? 2022. Uh, that facility was the Drury Plaza Hotel San Antonio, North Stone Oak. Let me repeat that just in case, because I do recommend this hotel. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're going to San Antonio, I encourage dropping by, and at least drop by and take a look if you don't, if you don't stay there. The Drury Plaza Hotel, San Antonio, North Stone Oak. Uh, the staff there was wonderful. And not, being a night owl, I, I was up in the middle of the night looking for something to drink or something to munch on. Don't tell anybody I said that. Uh, and the staff there was very accommodating. Uh, they, our, our reservation included breakfast and dinner. And the only thing you really needed to fend for yourself on was lunch. And there was a, a nice restaurant, I believe the name was Embers, nice restaurant there right in the parking lot with an easy walking distance. So it just doesn't get any better than that. Now, for the Dum Dum for this year, 2024, 2022, forgive me. My, I've been time traveling recently, so my, my <laughs> clock is off. Uh, the, the guest of honor was Doug Claba. Now, he's, he's the artist well-known among Burroughs fans. He's done the most recent... Um, uh, Tarzan book, Tarzan and the Forest of Stone, which is on the verge of being released. I think pre-orders are underway for that now. He did the cover for Lee Strong's Untamed Pluster, did some interior art for um, Tarzan trilogy, um, uh, Tom Zaychik's book. Uh, he also did the cover and interior for um, Terrible Tenderfoot. Now, attendees to the Dum Dum received a copy of Terrible Tenderfoot, which you might know as the Deputy Sheriff of Comanche County. Terrible Tenderfoot was the original title. And uh, as I said, the cover art there was done by Doug Claba. It's really a fine looking piece. Doug has done a couple of other um, uh, recent artworks. He's just this year, he released one for Law of Opar, which is, um, I'll say, very enchanting and fascinating. And, and he's, got, he's got some other ones coming out. And he's, I think, really, he's always done a good job, always done a fine job. I'd say now he's at the peak of his game. Uh, that's Doug Claba. Presentations. Now, we did have a huckster room. That included about 12 to 15 vendors. I was pretty busy. I did not get to spend as much quality time with, with them as I would have liked to. But certainly a, a fine array of, um, of Burroughs and Tarzan and, and related such uh, stuff, books and that sort of thing. Uh, presentations, Jim Gerlach of erbooks.com, not to be confused with ERB Inc. This is a separate company, but Jim Gerlach's company, erbooks.com, are the ones that produce those collectible volumes of, uh, of, uh, of, of the classic uh, ERB, they're all classic, of course, of the, of the uh, significant, they're all significant, of course. They produce extreme uh, uh, collectible copies of these books. 
They've already done Back to the Stone Age. ARB Books has done um, Land of Terror, and they've done Savage Blooster. They've also released, I think it's called the Artist Edition for the Princes of Mars and the uh, Publisher Edition for Tarzan of the Apes. And at present, they're working on another extreme edition for um, at the Earth's core. So Jim Gerlach brought us up to date on that. He says that they are on schedule. I don't have the time frame in front of me, but he says they're on schedule. They've had some, some hangups uh, and problems, as is often the case in manufacturing. Nothing unusual about that. But the, he says that they're on target for whatever the deadline was that he had announced earlier. And I can look, look that up. If you need me to, contact me via my Facebook group, and I'll, um, I'll get you a, a more specific date on that. Now, other presentations, we have one, there was one by Roland Trinery, who was a, uh, an expert on Milan Blaine, or Malon Blaine is the way I pronounce it. Uh, Mr. Blaine was known for his artwork on the Canaveral editions. It was um, artwork that was a little different approach, I would say. And, and, and my take on Malon Blaine's artwork is you about have to look through it. Don't focus on simply what's there, but also focus on what's not there. It's, it, it's something that at first glance, you might say, gee, that's peculiar. But then after you begin looking at it for a while, and you change your perspective. It, it's uh, much, much easier to appreciate. So Mr. Trinery spoke about Malon Blaine there for a good period of time. I say probably about half an hour, if not more. Gary Buckingham brought us up to date on his Tarzan and the Lion of Judah, a fine looking book that he's uh, got in the works. Now, ERB Inc. Um, could not be there. Uh, Christopher Paul Carey came down with a cold. It was not COVID so far as I understood. We did come down with a, a cold that pretty much sidelined him. And, and Kathy Wilbanks, who was also scheduled to come down from ERB Inc., was exposed to COVID. So as a precaution, she was not traveling. So they, they could not make it. They did send a PowerPoint presentation they'd already prepared. Did send that out. And <laughs> yours truly volunteered to present it. So I did, and I, I felt I did a decent job. Uh, really, all it was was just stepping through uh, the current products, the things that are coming soon, and things in the works, and that sort of thing coming from ERB, Inc. Uh, Doug Claba also spoke once, once he arrived there in the afternoon. Uh, he, he talked about his work on the, the Terrible Tenderfoot book, uh, what a thrill it is to work with uh, uh, ERB fans, and uh, we all appreciate his work. And, and, uh, and always, all, he was uh, thrilled to, to be visiting San Antonio, of course. Talk more about Doug here in just a moment. Henry Franke, the Burroughs Billy Files, did a very informative talk on Tarzan comic strips. And I came back, yours truly here, came, Jess Terrell came back for a, uh, another presentation <laughs> talking about, imagine this, Edgar Rice Burroughs on Facebook, something I know just a little bit about. Yeah where uh, we talked about the, what's involved in getting on Facebook, what kinds of things do we do in my discussion group. Also um, talked about the, some of the other discussion groups talking about things, things that they're discussing, which is pretty much the same thing I'm discussing. And of course, uh, paid homage to uh, Bill Hillman of ERB Zine. Uh, as I stated in my talk, you can't talk about Burroughs on Facebook without mentioning Bill Hillman, the, um, the um, model that we all follow and uh, who sets the pace for us and uh, Bill's a good friend and uh, was, was glad to mention him publicly there. Uh, there's a good panel on fanzines. Mike Conrad, Bill Ross, two longtime Bibliophile members. Roland Trinry, who was uh, had in that discussion about, uh, about Milan Blaine. And also uh, Jason Hardy, who currently turns out a fanzine that I had the pleasure of writing for once in a while. They talked about the fanzines of the, of the, of the past and fanzines uh, going forward. 
and, and, and concluding there is still a market for Burroughs-themed fanzines. I certainly encourage them to stick with it. I, I think that's an essential part of uh, Burroughs fandom. It's certainly the way, it used to be the way that we all communicated and found out all the news and reviews and, and things we needed to know as Burroughs fans. Uh, and, and while social media and more modern ways of communication perhaps have have supplemented that, I think there's still still a need for fanzines. So I encourage them to continue. Mm, uh, we had the traditional auction as usually accompanies both the um, the Burroughs um, Dum Dum fan gathering event that we had here, and, and Eckhoff does a similar thing. The banquet was at a restaurant called La Margarita. It was downtown in San Antonio. Mike Chapman, longtime Burroughs fan enthusiast who's hosted a few Dum Dums himself, was the speaker at that, uh, at that banquet. Uh, spoke primarily on some of the movie Tarzans, folks like uh, Ron Ely, of course, uh, Jock Mahoney, uh, like Sparker. And, he, and Mr. Chapman also has a long history in the, in the field of professional wrestling, so told us some interesting stories there. It was a well-orchestrated event. Proud to be, proud to see it happen. And I tell you, my only complaint is it went way too fast, way too fast. I didn't get to spend as much time with everyone that would have liked to have. Uh, Alan Hansen, for example, the Burroughs, uh, the Burroughs expert extraordinaire was there. I did, did not get to talk with him as much as I would have liked to. And there were several others that uh, it was just, hi, how are you? I got to get to the next presentation or something like that. But uh, it was a great event. Uh, really encourage y'all to keep uh, the Dum Dum in mind for next year. Not sure what the plans are for next year, but I'm sure there will be one someplace. And uh, that's um, yours truly's report from uh, Dum Dum for 2022. It just sounds like it was a great event. I, I am sorry I wasn't able to be there. Oh, 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 uh, if I may interject, some, not all, but some of the presentations were recorded. Some were broadcast live uh, over a uh, webcast. I was not aware they were going to do that. My mm -hmm. understanding, that was may have been a decision at the last minute. I had not seen any announcements about that. Um, my understanding is that some of these presentations that were filmed will be available on the Burroughs Bibliophiles YouTube channel here later on. I've been watching for that, but gee whiz, it could be, it could, they could be on there now. I haven't had time to check today. They might be on there next week or it could be next month. I would say just check periodically or ask us over at the love of all things they rice girls because I am keeping tabs on that. But uh, some of the pres uh, presentations I think were very good and informative and I think well worth your time. Go ahead, Tim. Okay. Um, I just appreciate that report. It was very complete and interesting and it makes me wish I was there even more than I already I was wishing I had been there. Well, the, the report is hot off the press. It's still steaming, but you're, thank you very much. <laughs> So, okay, and I said we were going to have two features today before the book. The other one is our inaugural ERB podcast trivia contest. And we have a prize to give out this for, for, uh, to give out for this. We have a copy of the new authorized edition of Tarzan at the Earth's Core. This is the hardcover edition of the book with a, a, a new cover by Joe Jusco that literally takes your breath away. Uh, as does, I think, every cover he's doing for that series. Uh, it's, uh, it's just magnificent work. So you can win a copy of this book. Um, and you have, uh, seriously, the cover alone is more than enough reason for wanting it. But uh, uh, Tarzan at the Earth's Core is also just a superb adventure novel in its own right. 
So, if I, excuse me, if I may jump in, this series of books from the Authorized Library produced by ERB Inc. also includes a couple of features. They've got some very informative forwards in them that really go into some, some in-depth detail and afterwards. And they also have an archival section. And by that, I mean, it's um, it's uh, material images, uh, documents is a good word. Uh, paperwork from from years ago, back about the time this book was created or connected to the book in some fashion. Some of the stuff has not been seen by the public before. So as a Burroughs enthusiast, a historian, uh, a collector, that's, th this kind of stuff is, is very exciting to me. Go ahead, Dan. Okay. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That makes the, uh, the book, I think, even a more valuable prize for anyone who wins the trivia contest. So... Um, um, uh, in just a moment, I'll, I'll explain how the trivia contest is going to work, but you really want to win this book. Um, even if you already bought a copy, uh, an extra copy to like beat people over the head when they say they've never read Burroughs would be a good idea. So, uh, um, so in just a moment, I am going to ask a trivia question. If you know the answer, email it to us at eggersmailbag at gmail.com. That address will also be in the show notes. You can find it there. Now, don't answer the question on any of the social media platforms on which you find the podcast. If you see us on Facebook, on Apple Podcasts, on Audible, whatever, if you want to leave comments there telling us how awesome we are, that's great. But the only official answers will be the ones sent to eggersmailbag at gmail.com. Uh, this is the only way we can do it so that I can make sure I haven't missed any answers out there. Uh, Tim, um, excuse me, I would presume that that uh, email address, eggersmailbag, at gmail.com is mm -hmm. all one word with no, yes, no spaces, no embedded blanks, no, no um, apostrophes yep. or anything of that. All Go just ahead. one word. Very good. Uh, so, so if you know the answer, send it to the Gmail. Uh, and to qualify the, for the prize, uh, we're, we are recording this in mid-June of 2022. So on July 5th of this year, July 5th, 2022, I will randomly pick a winner from all the right answers. I know that a lot of people who listen here are Burroughs experts, so more than one of you is going to know the answer or be able to find it. So that random selection from, the, from all the right answers, that will be the person who wins the book. I will email back that person to get a mailing address and have it in the mail to you fairly promptly. Uh, so if you're listening to this after July 5th, 2022, I'm afraid the deadline is, uh, that for entering will have passed. So our apologies to anybody listening to this on the bridge of the Star Starship Enterprise, you know, uh, uh, 200 years from now. You've missed your chance. Um, but we'll you... probably have another contest, say, the next time we do a podcast. Is that first? Oh, yeah, we, we, we should make this a regular feature. Uh, but I doubt we'll still be giving out prizes um, in, in uh, you know, the year 2350. So I'm all uh, <laughs> unless, of course, you, you get Captain Kirk to slingshot around the sun and come back in time and enter the contest there. So that's a possibility. Um, also, because of postal costs, we do have to limit contestants to the United States. I know we have a few listeners in England, um, and we apologize that we can't include you. You blame the post office for that. That's not our fault. So here's the question. While growing up with the apes of Kershak, Tarzan had a teenage crush on a young she-ape. What was the name of this she-ape? So remember, if you know the answer, email it to us at eggersmailbag at gmail.com. Uh, the email address will also be in the show notes. Uh, and here's the question one more time. While growing up with the apes of Kershak, Tarzan had a teenage crush on a young she-ape. What was the name of the she-ape? 
So email, email us that answer before July 5th, and you'll be in the drawing to win a copy of the new authorized edition of Tarzan at the Earth's Core. So um, onto the novel, onto our actual main feature for the show. Um, I Am a Barbarian was written in 1941, but it wasn't published in Burroughs' uh, lifetime. It first saw print as a hardcover in 1967. And Ace Books also brought out a paperback with a fantastic Boris Vallejo cover on it. It's, it's one of Burroughs' least known novels. In fact, unlike pretty much everything else he wrote, it's not currently in print, um, at least not, the, not at the time of this podcast. Uh, author Richard Lupoff, who wrote a import, very important book about uh, Burroughs, had this to say about I Am a Barbarian, and this is a quote. This lightly fictionalized biography of the Emperor Caligula, as told by the slave Britannicus, is a radical departure in style and attitude from any other work of Burroughs. In my opinion, it is an excellent work, one of his best and deserving of wide attention, unquote. Um, and I kind of agree with that sentiment. I think it is an excellent book. It is very different in a lot of ways from Burroughs' other work, um, uh, but it is, it is an excellent novel. Uh, it really just draws you in. And before we start our summary of the novel, I want to first express my continued appreciation for the ERB summary project that can be found at erblist.com for the excellent work there in providing us with a chapter-by-chapter -chapter summaries of all of Burroughs' work. It's a great resource for us when we prepare these podcasts. We do read the novels ourselves, but uh, when we're preparing summaries, that, that uh, project there helps, uh, means we don't forget a key point when we're doing that. Now, because this novel is different from ERB's other works with the inclusion of a lot of political maneuvering, a lot of assassinations and seductions, a lot of Roman names, we're going to organize our discussion a little differently than we normally do. I'm going to briefly summarize the book five chapters at a time, then we're gonna pause for some in-depth discussion. Um, so you guys ready? I'm going to start with the summary of the first five chapters. Well, I have something to say, of course. Mm -hmm. I can't let I can't let much time wander by <laughs> without saying something. I wanted to point out that this uh, story, "I Am a Barbarian," is one of several fine adventures over at EdgarRiceBurrows.com/comics. Uh, this is a web comic. It's been presented as a web comic. There's 200 plus, I can get you the exact number, there's 200 plus panels for this story, I Am a Barbarian, written by Tom Simmons, artwork by Mike Dubish, and letters by L. Jamal Walton. They're all doing a fine job. In fact, they've done such a fine job, the story is now complete, and the book is in print. We talked about the actual prose novel, I Am a Barbarian, not being in print. That's very true. Uh, there are old copies to be had if you look around on eBay and things of that nature. But you cannot walk into a, a bookstore or order online a brand new copy, as Tim stated. However, there is a collected volume of the webcomic I just mentioned, 200 plus episodes, with uh, written by Tom Simmons, artwork by Mike Dubish, letters by Jamal Walton, as I mentioned just a moment ago. This volume is available. It is for sale. It is presently um, being sold. And... Um, uh, I'll get you the, I don't want to mess it up. I'll get you the website where it can be ordered from, but uh, we'll be sure to mention this book. It's a, it's a fine story. They've all done an extraordinary job with it. I went through it extensively today, in fact, and I already knew this because I've been a fan of, of the webcomic, but I would encourage you to take a look at I Am a Barbarian, uh, the webcomic version 
by Tom Simmons, artwork Mike Dubish, and letters L. Jamal Bolton. All right, that's my plug. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, I will make sure I put the link to where you can buy that in the show notes. So check Thank out. you. I appreciate that because I'll probably mess it up when I'm trying to spell it. <laughs> okay, so here's the first five chapters. The book is presented as a translate the translated memoirs of Britannicus, who spent 25 years as a slave to Caligula, the mad Roman emperor, though Caligula is only four years old when we first meet him. The memoir is dedicated to Britannicus's son, Numerius Tiber Britannicus. Now, Britannicus, usually called Brit, and that's how we'll be referring to him, is 10 years old when the novel starts. His father is the chieftain of a tribe of Britons, and his grandfather had been a king. Brit's dad had launched an ill-advised attack on the Belgians. Uh, he had stolen some, captured some ships in Dover, sold across to the, sailed across to the continent, and attacked the Belgians there, who defeated and enslaved the tribe. They were sold to the Germans, and then the Germans were captured by the Romans, and uh, along with them were their slaves. So Brit and his father and mother become slaves to the Romans. The commander of the Roman force is Germanicus. His wife is the mean-spirited and paranoid uh, Agrippina, and their spoiled brat of a son is the four-year-old Caligula. Caligula is known as Little Boots, and his main talent as a toddler is screaming until he gets his way. He's given Britannicus as a personal slave, and Britannicus, by the way, is very proud of his heritage. And especially for a child, he has a lot of courage. So when Little Boots spits on him, Brit slaps him. And Brit then runs for his life, and he ends up befriending a soldier and an ex-gladiator named Tiber. Uh, Tiber isn't too bright, but he's intensely loyal to his friends. And he's going to end up being my favorite personal, my personal favorite character in the book. Anyway, because Little Boots want Brit, wants Brit back, he's not put to death for the slap. The family returns to Rome. Brit is impressed with the size of the city, but nothing he sees, he sees about the Roman citizens impresses him. He thinks the leadership is cruel and incompetent. He thinks that free government handouts have made the average citizen lazy and corrupt. Brit sees his parents one more time when they're paraded as captives in front of the crowds. After that, he never sees them again. We also see that though Germanicus is a nice guy himself, his wife and his kids are all cruel and rotten. The kids all hate each other. It's not a sibling rivalry thing. They, they, they literally have a murderous hatred for one another. And they're always trying to hurt one another. Their mom, Agrippina, is quite horrible. Brit runs away again when she's angry with him. Remember that Brit is a slave and, and Agrippina could put him to death at her whim. He takes refuge with Tiber, who's now with the Praetorian Guard, but Little Boots screams whenever Brit's not around, and that keeps him alive. Now, when Brit is five years old, or when Little Boots is five years old, he begins to get his schooling. Brit is there as well, and, he, and thus he learns to read and write. He becomes familiar with the works of Homer and Livy and Cicero. He, learns from, he also learns from Tiber, who's a, who is a font of wild stories about war and murder, death, and gladiator fights. Now, Brit has an adventure in chapter three when he runs away yet again to avoid punishment. He gets into a fight with a Roman boy and gets tossed into prison, where a couple of thugs fight over who gets to abuse him. Fortunately, when it's discovered he belongs to Caligula, he's released. Germanicus promises to protect him so that he doesn't uh, keep, keep running away. And G Germanicus is then assigned to a post in Syria. So this section ends 
with the family sail sailing to that country. While leaving Rome, Brit sees bodies floating in the river. Tiber, who's coming along, tells him this is where Brit's parents probably ended up. So Brit vows to hate Romans forever and to one day kill a Caesar. Um, so that, that's the summary of the first five chapters. Um, once again, there's a lot of political maneuvering and assassinations and plots going on here that would just take too long and be too difficult to summarize. It's a very rich novel. Um, and uh, in five short chapters, as you just heard, we got a lot of basic information in there and several little mini adventures for Brit. So one thing I wanna say is how quickly and effectively Burroughs gives us Brit's history and sets up the whole situation. Um, anything you guys wanna say about the first five chapters? Go uh, ahead, Jess, if you want. Who, me? Uh, you know, well, I, I was chomping at the bit. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, several things here to mention, uh, that, which I probably could have mentioned before we got underway, <clears throat> but they're kind of recurring themes and things I'll be thinking about, and I've actually been thinking about these since we started discussing this book, since we started discussing the idea of discussing this book. <clears throat> these are all things that have uh, occurred to me as I've gone through and examined it. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, uh, our, uh, I'll say villain for one of our what better word is little Brit. His real name is Caligula. And if you know anything about Roman emperors, which I don't profess to, but that's one name I do know. Uh, he has quite the reputation, a real life reputation, I mean. Um, but, but and, and we'll see more of this as the story develops. And Tim's already touched upon it. As it, I think it begs the question, this story is an example of, of the question for a youngster, for a child. Is behavior learned or is it inherited? Um, and it probably depends on different situations, but through, while reading this story, I'm wondering how much of this that Little Boots, uh, Caligula, was how much he was born just uh, with a natural inclination to, to, to be mean, or is it something he learned from somebody else? And another point is, uh, go ahead, uh, someone say something. Yeah, I was going to say in regards to that, and that's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that particular thing. Um, it's obvious that Little little Boots is spoiled rotten. He, when he doesn't get his way, when Brit isn't around, for instance, he simply screams. No one tries to discipline him, give him a time out, teach him better. They just give in to him. So part of Caligula's lack of character, and I think also his viciousness when he grows up, you can credit to uh, how he was raised. Because um, if you're not given discipline and, a, and taught a sense of right and wrong when you're little, you're, you're not going to have that when you're a grown-up. Um, and, and we can see that as an example of, of, of what happens when you just spoil a kid rotten and never try to teach him right from wrong uh, or not, never try and instill any discipline. So I hadn't thought about that aspect of it all. But I think you could probably argue that the story leans on that uh, that behavior is learned rather than inherited. Um, that being said, Caligula does have epilepsy. He might have physiological uh, uh, problems that, that uh, uh, contribute to his insanity later in life, but he's a rotten person because he was allowed to grow up to be a rotten person. And I agree with you on both points. Of course, epilepsy is something a person can't help. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm fully aware of that, and I don't mean to, don't mean to downplay the importance of that. But to your point, his mom, Acropenia, or whatever her name is, um, she, she's, um, I'll say, a witch herself. 
and I'm using that term in a general statement. I don't mean she's she's uh, hitting the brew or uh, or <laughs> potions or anything, but I mean she's just mean, and and uh, and that's kind of who I was thinking of inherited. His dad, Germanicus, um, is the one person who will attempt to correct him. He spanks him on a couple of occasions. Um, I think uh, I, I think probably needed to do that a few more times. But granted, um, uh, epilepsy is a serious condition. I don't want to downplay that. The yeah, iron. I should say his epilepsy by itself is not what makes him evil. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's his being brought up. And Germanicus did try to discipline him a few times, but mostly he just let Agrippa uh, let, uh, uh, in turn, allow Little Boots to have his way and everything. Very well. Another point I wanted to make, and Scott, do jump in here. Don't let me hog it all. Oh, I'm, 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 uh, uh, brewing a vat of stuff of what I'm listening to both you mention to uh, put it into a summary when, when you're done. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be a good thing. Um, that, that, that would work. Uh, it, I think it's ironic that the person that this story calls a barbarian is probably the most civilized, and that would be a, a Brit, uh, certainly as he grows up and begins to develop some uh, uh, adult-type uh, perspective on things, but based on his childhood, as most of us are. Uh, he, he, he's, he's the one who's he's called a barbarian, but he doesn't behave that way. Um, uh, other, other things here, uh, I, I, for whatever reason, I would say that the Little Boots slash Caligula is, is making a descent into madness throughout the story. That's a personal, it's his personal trauma. But because of that, and because he's a leader in the community, <laughs> in the country, uh, he is triggering a descent into chaos for society. Um, and, and also, there's, this sparks a management technique that I've seen in the real world of everyone trying to please the boss because the boss is, is can't be pleased. And, and those who can please him can do whatever he, whatever outlandish thing he wants are the ones that will get to some level of approval. If it's nothing more than a smile and not smile or not, which maybe you forgotten five minutes ago, five minutes from now, you get that, get that brief approval trying to please the boss. Unfortunately for an organization, I'm thinking in terms of business, but heck it works for countries too. And that it draws you away from your main objectives. You get everyone gets wrapped up in trying to please the boss. They're not moving the company forward, or in this case, they're not not moving the country forward. And it's and its citizens are being ignored, and sometimes even even uh, uh, punished or, or damaged from this. All right, that's enough for me for the moment. Y'all go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, part of what I wanted to open up with here too is I'd be curious about the book itself. Um, there are times when I'm reading it, I'm wondering if ERB had put it away with plans, come back to polish it, which I think he did, because overall, it's, it's an incredible book. There's a ton of information in here. Uh, I, you know, it's a fictionalized account, uh, but he obviously did his homework, <laughs> a lot of research, and that's listed in the beginning where they have that sort of a uh, open thing where it says we got, you know, uh, took the original script and went through these references where they sort of like he's done with uh, Tarzan books where he goes and I met with uh, Lord Greystoke and stuff, sets it within the imaginary world, but backs it up with some reference points. But I'm curious because there are things like uh, um, uh, he used a lot for the main character for Brit, you know, would uh, say, uh, I am the great 
grandson of uh, Sinjitoris, uh, Sinjitoris, his great grandfather's name. Uh, uh, but uh, sometimes it's sort of like, it was almost in there as a placemaker that maybe he wanted to say something else instead of repeating with the same thing. And some of the things are a little and ask uh, um, an anachronism in some of the speech. And I know they they say they uh, um, in the kind of uh, fictional factual opening notes uh, taking the speech so modern readers can understand it more. But I found like the use of the word brat and uh, chap like uh, that's the sort of chap he was didn't seem to fit in with that so I know when they took the manuscript I'm wondering if they basically did it verbatim uh, if they had talked about doing some polishing overall the story everything else is really great those are just a couple interesting things I'd like to find out more about the history of how they uh, uh, put that uh, um, uh, brought this manuscript to light the way they did I think I think there could be some interesting stuff in there uh, the other thing we're talking about, like the um, uh, our actions learned or are they inherited? If you go to the other side, I think Britt's a good example of what, how he was raised and how he said he learned his lessons on how you act with people and take care of people. And that's where he wears with the pride of, uh, I am a barbarian. And I'm proud of that because those are his roots. This is what he knows. He knows how their society and culture works and, and uh, feels that um, uh, the Roman citizenship, the city, the empire, which we know ended up imploding, you know, collapsing in time as empires do, but uh, got too rich for itself or too full of itself or too lazy for itself. The intrigue of, of the uh, families and relations of all those Caesar bound people, you know, uh, Nero and Caligula, uh, Claudius, which was turned into a mini series years ago called I Claudius. Uh, the intrigue and treachery within the families, immediate families themselves, is incredible. And, and uh, you go into history books and you can read this, and Edgar Rice Burroughs brings this right out he is uh, compared to his other writings uh, though he can sometimes show forces of brutality this one i won't say something that happens later on with some children stuff but the jail part with the abuse of a one man saying no he, he's my boy when brit's in there and stuff was quite bold and i think open face to be addressed in something he wrote in the 50s and which was published in the 60s. It's a very um, different context in which he tells a story. And again, with Britt being the uh, narrator, telling the story from where he is, I appreciate sometimes because he's telling it like a story. He's not giving every single point. Um, however, I felt in the first couple of chapters, it took a little bit for me to really warm into it. By the fourth and fifth chapter, I was completely I just going in and reading it and enjoying it. Uh, the uh, first part I thought, I want to use the word dry, but as a different approach. I remember having some difficulty years ago, first uh, reading it. Um, and I appreciate it more this time 
Um, but when I picked it up, I was, I'm also a huge uh, Robert E. Howard fan when Conan, Solomon Kane. I was kind of expecting more of an adventure. <laughs> Brit is not Conan, but he's not supposed to be. This really is much more like a historical memoir, but he doesn't pull punches. Uh, life back then was very brutal. I may be forgetting other stuff too. I'll, I'll stop now, but these are observations I got, um, well, especially from the beginning of the book and what you guys have said that continues forward. Yeah, but you made some really good points. Uh, the title, I Am a Barbarian, really you realize it is a statement of pride and that um, um, uh, Brit never has anything but contempt for, um, for any of the Romans uh, and for Roman society. And it's interesting that he's not awed of it or scared of it or all. He, you know, he knows when he's in danger, he knows it. Um, but he's not impressed at all by, by, on any sort of moral or emotional level by Rome. And he just thinks that his people were, were probably more civilized in that, that they had a, uh, a more honest and vibrant society than what he sees in Rome. So I am a barbarian definitely is a statement of, of pride for him. And it reminds me a little of Tarzan's attitude towards civilization. You know, he can, he can operate in civilization and have friends there, but he prefers the jungle because of the, the, he's just like annoyed by the basic hypocrisies and, and uh, um, uh, corruptions within civilization that he doesn't find in the jungle. The animals uh, are more civilized than civilization. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the other thing I want to mention before we move on is that Burroughs, he wrote this in 1941, um, and he's obviously using Roman politics, uh, particularly his remarks about government handouts being bad for the character of the people, has an implicit criticism of New Deal politics and of FDR's administration. And um, I just want to point that out. We're not going to be political ourselves at all and comment on what our political views are, because uh, we just want every Burroughs fan, conservative or liberal, to enjoy this talk. But... Um, Burroughs obviously disliked the New Deal politics and uh, disliked the idea of government handouts. I don't, I don't think he was lacked compassion at all for people who needed help. He just didn't think it was the government just blindly handing out money as he saw it uh, uh, was the best way of handling it. Um, and this isn't the only time in his work he gets political. Uh, we did an episode on pirates, the Pirates of Venus, where you remember the the bad guys in that were obviously a, a, a representative of the Soviet Union, of what would have yeah. been Stalin's Soviet Union at the time. And he was very critical of it. Uh, we were thinking of doing Tarzan and the Ant-Man next time, Ant-Man. And that has criticisms of prohibition built into it and, and how the Ant-Man society works. So uh, Burroughs did get political sometimes in using his fictional stories to comment on current politics. And he definitely did this here. Um, okay, any other comments for you before we do the next five chapters? Nothing for me. Okay. Uh, now there are, so, so chapters six through 10. And remember they have gone, Germanicus and his family along with Brit as a slave uh, are in Syria and there's political shenanigans going on there. And Germanicus dies while over there. And when that happens, the already paranoid Agrippina is convinced he was poisoned. Now, the family returns to Rome, and 10 years pass pretty quickly. So Brit is now a young man, and Caligula is a still very spoiled teenager. And during this time, Brit has become quite a scholar in, in writing and in literature. 
Um, when he's 18, Britt delivers a letter to another house. Um, after this, he hears a scream in an alley. Uh, this introduces us, to, is, introduces us to the beautiful Belgian slave Attica, who's 15 at the time, and who's a slave in another household. She's being attacked by two men. Britt saves her from the attackers, but one of them later dies from, from uh, this later on. And because of the way the circumstances looked out, worked out, Britt's friend Tiber is accused of murdering the man. Britt offers to confess that he, was, he indeed say, uh, uh, killed the guy in order to save his friend, but Tiber refuses to let him. Uh, while this is going on, Caligula and Britt attend the chariot races. Britt wins money betting on the races. Uh, he meets Attica again, and later on, he meets a chariot racer named Numerius. And for much of the novel, Britt and Numerius will be competing for Attica's heart. They both love her. But despite this, the two will become lifelong friends. So they say all is fair in love and war, but Britt and Numerius don't subscribe to that. They stay friends, and their competition to, uh, for, for Attica's heart never interferes with that. But when Tiber is arrested for murder, um, and then he's convicted and, and sentenced to, to, to serve in the mines for the rest of his life, Britt steps up to confess and save his friends. And this is an incredible act of courage because as a slave, he's going to be crucified. Uh, so chapter 10 ends with Britt being tossed into prison, uh, just looking forward to a horrible, painful death. Uh, not looking forward, but knowing that that's, that's what's in store for him. So um, any comments on this one from you guys? Well, I have to give a shout out to Numericus. His attitude of approaching this and this relationship issue between he, the young lady, and, and Britt, approaching this as a gentleman, mm -hmm. uh, that is, he wanted to win the girl's affections fair and square. Um, he, he, um, uh, he saw it as a, as a challenge, sure. But a gentleman, he approached as a gentleman, which is just not what I expected out of Roman behavior here. So maybe it was hope for that society after all. But um, I, was, I was impressed by that. That, that, that surprised me. I, okay, go ahead. No, I agree. I, I like Numerius too. And he was, I think it's a nice contrast since Burroughs' Brit is mostly critical of Roman behavior. It is a nice contrast to have some individual Romans in there who are not evil and who are sometimes honorable. I liked it too. Um, the fact uh, that he didn't just become a, a rival in love or, or um, uh, Archie and Reggie type thing or deadly enemies like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ben Hur's best friend becomes. Here, I really liked the way he set up and handled it. it wasn't what I was expecting. And it was heartwarming. <laughs> it really was. I think. Uh, Burroughs is deliberately contrasting the loyalty that the uh, supposedly lower class characters like Brit and Tiber and Numerius have for each other. Uh, he's contrasting that with the corruption and the completely evil character of the up of most of the upper class characters. So, I'd go along with that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, anything else before we go on to chapters 11 through 15? Oh, just a brief thought about uh, Germanicus. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, little Boots uh, Caligula's father passing away. In, in this society, I tell you, it reminds me a little bit about um, uh, Burroughs' um, oh, um, Land of Time Forgot, the uh, Wirus there, where assassination is a way of life for them. 
so far as Germanic is passing, this would be uh, Caligula's father. Mm-hmm. I'm probably butchering the name, but starts out G-E-R, I know that much. Uh, so far as his passing away, it's entirely possible somebody did him in. Now, there's probably a long list of suspects here, if the police were investigating and they're not. Probably a long list of possibilities of people who might have poisoned him. And I think his wife even shouted poison, I think, as you said. Uh, but you have to add to that list family members. Now, his children are a little old to be suspects, but in a few years, they'll be old enough to be suspects for that kind of thing. So that's something we have to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Go, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, no, those are, once again, great comments. Um, so we're, uh, I was going to go on starting with Chapter 11 then. Okay, so, and this is the book's most suspenseful scene. Brit is taken out to be crucified. Uh, Tiber shows up in the nick of time with a pardon. So Brit is free all of a sudden, just seconds before he's nailed to the cross. So Brit returns to the family. Um, In the meantime, the emperor at this time is Tiberius and his son has died. And this moves members of the Germanicus family all closer to the throne. And it intensifies their, their plotting against one another. And in the meantime, Brit ends up driving in the chariot races. There's some ups and downs in his wooing of Attica when, when letters to one another fail to get delivered. And she's also very slow in deciding between Brit and Numerius. I like Attica, but she was like toying with these guys far longer than she should have. Um, Brit overhears Agrippina plotting to assassinate Tiberius, um, the current Caesar. So Brit and Tiberius have met and they do have a mutual respect for one another. Uh, So Brit secretly carries a warning to the emperor. There are betrayals and plots and seductions and lies among the family and among other important Romans. Agrippina ends up dying in prison and Caligula begins to have occasional epileptic seizures. Other characters die or killed. And by the time Tiberius dies, uh, strangled by Caligula actually, Caligula is there to take the the, the throne. So uh, he's, he's an adult by now, but he's a completely wackadoodle adult and has chapter, this section ends, chapter 15 ends, he is now the emperor with uh, pretty much unlimited power throughout the Roman Empire. Um, it, these chapters, that contrast between Brit and his friends with the increasingly corrupt Romans, I think it becomes even more striking than it was. Um, it, um, it really is a theme in this novel that um, I don't know if it's like power and wealth corrupts or a lot of people. I think that might be one of the points that Burroughs is making um, because you have most of the lower class people are at least loyal to each other and uh, support each other. Whereas the upper class people are always backstabbing each other to get more power and money than they already have. Uh, Any comments from you guys? Well, this just about popped out of me. There is a a, a statement, absolute power, corrupts absolutely and mm-hmm. i don't know the origin of that i mean i first heard it on the original star trek of course where i get most of my information from <laughs> but um absolute power corrupts absolutely meaning that those who are in power who have total power are more apt to 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 scheme and cheat in order to expand their their amount of power They're, they become power hungry and i, th- I think perhaps that's what we're seeing here all right go ahead yeah, i agree um I also want to say that the scene leading up to Brit almost being crucified is incredibly intense. It is one of the most uh, suspenseful bits of prose I've ever read. Crucifixion is probably, excuse excuse me, Scott. I was just going to say crucifixion is probably the thing 
mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the, the Brit, if he feared anything, he feared crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Uh, go ahead, Scott, finish your thoughts, please. I just going to say, yeah, like the last uh, section we covered, uh, uh, chapters 5 through 11 or, or 10, however that was, is, uh, as I'd said earlier, where I started just scooping up and reading as opposed to catching up with the history and all that. And then, of course, obviously, the trial and the uh, crucifixion, all that. Uh, um, yeah, you know, it's like, okay, I'm just going to do one more page here before going to bed or you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, you keep on flipping it. But I could, I could see, like, he's in there in, like, the jailer Sunshine. They call Sunshine. Now, I could, like, see a movie where it's someone like Peter Lorre. And now they're not necessarily sadistic. Well, I could just sort of, you know, yes, you know, well, I don't want to be mean about it, but you know, when they put that spike through your hand, it's going to hurt. But boy, when they put it through your feet, you're going to scream because it really hurts. You're going to scream. And you know, he keeps saying that every day. He goes, I feel rad, bad for you, boy, but sorry, I can't help you die sooner because it's going to really hurt. You know? Yeah. I, I had the impression that he was actually trying to be comforting, but was just really terrible at it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's where he isn't trying to be mean. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know anything else to talk about. Yeah. No, don't, worry, don't worry. I'll have you strung up here in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> like when he said, he said, uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I like you. I, I'm going to try not to miss the spike too much and hit your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Scott, I've got to hand it to you for that voice impression you did a minute ago. I mean, you had me shaking in my shoes here. <laughs> I don't do good impressions, but I can make weird sounding noises. <laughs> well, I tell you, I suddenly I had visions of me being strung up, and I didn't like the idea of that. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's it's important to note actually that Brit doesn't like Roman society, and he doesn't like Romans in general. But he does recognize that there are good Romans. Um, for instance, he does respect the he did respect Tiberius, the emperor, um, and thought he wasn't a completely horrible leader at the. At, um, at, at the least. So um, it's not a racial bigotry that Brit feels. It's uh, his actual honest and well-founded opinion that Roman society itself is corrupt. The, the, he recognizes there are exceptions to that rule. Yes, he does. The um, uh, warrior friend of his, Tibor? Uh, uh, Tibor, yeah. They, he respects him a great deal. He, even, um, what's his name? Even little Boots Caligula, mm-hmm. like Tibor. Yeah. Um, yes. And uh, um, so that's I think that's an important part of the novel, actually. If, if he just blindly hated every Roman, it would come across as just a bigotry. And but because he's able to respect those Romans, who those few Romans he runs into who are good people, then, you know, his opinion of Roman society is an honest one based on uh, a real opinion of their moral failings and not just a, a blind not just a, a blind, bigoted opinion. It's the individual versus the entire collection or entire society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, the last, actually six chapters, it's 21 chapters, so we'll finish with chapters 16 through 21. Uh, Caligula is now the emperor, and Brit discovers that people now fawn over him, over Brit, for favors. Um, he's still a slave, remember, but people will come to him because they know he's, he's, he's Caligula's favorite to try and get favors. Uh, Caligula, though, has moved permanently into crazy town. He's just completely nuts. He sees plots against him everywhere. 
He forces those he sees as enemies to commit suicide. He frequently has people executed and often forces family members to kill each other. He spends money lavishly, lavishly and then he raises taxes to, to, to replenish the treasury. He steals wives from other men, marries them, and then divorces them, sometimes in a matter of days. And though, he, though he's a coward, he makes an awkward, several awkward attempts to fake military victories. You know, Brit, by this time, he's tempted to kill Caligula himself, but he can't bring himself to violate the, the trust that the emperor has in him. Um, Brit comes close to being executed himself when he loses a chariot race, and he loses it because he avoids running over his friend Numerius. Numerius crashes, and if Brit has just run over him, he could have stayed in first place, but he swerves around him and loses the race because of that. You know, Caligula lost a fortune betting on Brit, but um, he still spares him. Instead, he executes the man who won the bet and then confiscates his estate. Um, Attica, in the meantime, finally confesses her love for Brit. The two are married, and they eventually have a son. But Caligula's misrule is making him more and more unpopular. So he plans a five, day, five days of games to win the people back over to him. At one point, though, his troops force people from the stands into the arena where wild animals have been released. This includes Attica, and that leads to a great action scene where Tiber jumps into the arena, where Brit jumps into the arena to save her from a tiger. And he, does, and he succeeds only because Tiber jumps in as well to help. Um, so uh, that would be the, the action scene in the novel, in my opinion. Uh, and by now, even Caligula's own guards are plotting against him. And this is what happened in real life. The Praetorian guards did end up killing the emperor. But Caligula still has time for one more act of perverse evil. Brit's sent away from the palace to deliver a message. When he returns, he finds Attica dying from slashed wrists. Her last words, word is Caesar implying she killed herself to keep from being raped by Caligula. So Brit runs to find Caligula, finding him just as the guards are stabbing him. Caligula cries for Brit to help, but Brit stabs him as well. Tiber and Numerius urge him to flee Rome, but he refuses their help rather than endanger them. He tells Tiber he regrets that Tiber is a Roman, and the book ends with Tiber telling him, I'm not a Roman, I'm a Greek. You never knew that? You know, um, and that's where the novel comes to an end. Um, we do, one thing I will say is we know Brit survives after this because he wrote all this down for his son, but Burroughs doesn't provide us any details about what happened to Brit afterwards. Scott, I think this is one example that stood out in my mind, that if this had been published when Burroughs was still alive, he might have done one more rewrite on it. It had a clearer ending to what happened with Brit. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Tom Simmons in the in the comic strip does give a slightly clearer, a, a much more clearer answer to uh, Brit's fate, um, but uh, Burroughs doesn't cover that. We we don't know for sure how Brit managed to survive this afterwards or what happened to him. Um, I think it would have been a controversial book too, mm -hmm. uh, uh, for good or bad. Um, this is so different from his other books and the blatant brutality of some of the things that are in here uh i think would have uh there, there would have been a lot of eye-opening by people <laughs> yeah um i think he's much more open about rapes than he is in the other books he always he just always has that he often has that as a threat for his women characters yeah. but here he's more, more overt about that threat and 
the first time Brett was in prison as a kid, the, the two guys who were fighting over him obviously wanted to abuse him uh, in the most horrible way possible. So if there might have been some controversy if it had been printed in, in 1941 because of just how graphic those scenes are. Well, there was also an incident with Britain, the family member, which I won't go into detail because it's, it's, it's a very awkward thing to discuss. Mm-hmm. But um, it was in, certainly inappropriate, I'll say that, and uh, that's covered in there also. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, it's not a criticism of the book. I think those... Oh, no, not that, at all. Those, yeah, those evil acts needed to be in there to just uh, to make the point of, of the danger to Brit and the corruption of Roman society. But um, um, uh, they, they were pretty graphic for the time the book was first written. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe... Not gratuitous, but that, that's more open than usual. Yeah, it is. Um, and maybe if he'd been, uh, you know, of course, he... He spent many of his remaining years as the world's oldest war correspondent, which is uh, maybe one reason why he never got back to it in his lifetime. Um, yeah, maybe he, uh, if he'd given it one more run, it'd be interesting to see if he would have toned that down or since he was writing in a different style from usual, maybe he would have left it in. Um, who knows? Uh, we, uh, we sadly will never know what Burroughs may have done with the book before it was being published. Uh, but even, well, I'm sorry, but, just to say even with the, differences obviously as this being a book he wrote then i think people can get a good idea of some of the things we're talking about uh in the movie gladiator when Mm -hmm. you're talking about the uh inner family situations uh despising each other or attracted to each other and just the way they rule politically and very little life means anything to them that's why they can wager on them being shredded apart by animals or by bigger and stronger gladiators and stuff it's uh um you like the stadium scene when they're all forced into uh the arena with the wild animals or whatever i can kind of see the uh russell crowe and the other things uh, <laughs> fights and stuff in the, in the stadiums in the arenas similar to that so people get a feeling they would know that this book has that kind of tone to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and uh, well, you know, if we are, if we presume, we don't know for sure. If we presume that Burroughs would have done one more rewrite before it was published, then it's a, a remarkable testament to his skill that this is still a great novel, even if it, even if it wasn't quite as polished as he wanted it to be, uh, to be published. Um, so, because it's still a great novel. Um, even, you know, I, I do think Brit just the it ending without an indication of what happened to Brit was a little bit of a disappointment, but, um, uh, um, that doesn't ruin the novel for me at all. It's still a superb no. book. I, I wanted to, uh, if we're done with that, I just wanted to mention that the incident of the, uh, mm-hmm. tiger in the arena and Brit mm-hmm. and Brit jumping in there with a sword to save a young lady. Uh, that artwork, that image has been reproduced uh, at least a couple of times, perhaps others. Uh, Mike Dubish and with Jamal Walton, who's done the artwork for the web comics, covered that. And uh, what, what they turned into is a promotional picture for these web comics. And uh, also um, Boris uh, Vallejo, who did the cover for I Am Barbarian for one of the paperback editions, uh, yeah. focused on that same scene. That's a, I'm looking at it right now. It's extraordinary artwork there. Of course, yeah. Boris, always does, Boris always does a fine job, no question about that. 
Boris does. Um, yeah, I always think I always put Boris and Frazetta together in my mind. With yeah, me too. Me, me personally liking Frazetta a little bit better, but then Boris will do one a cover like that one, which kind of likes. Okay, maybe maybe I should jump him ahead. So um, they were both superb artists. Exactly. But but I also while I have the floor, there are several actions. This certainly is a story of drama and intrigue and, mm -hmm. and backstabbing. Sometimes backstabbing with a real knife. Uh, the, the, but this um, this story definitely does have action scenes in it, and and uh, the action scenes in the in the web comic version, which I mentioned, uh, written by Tom Simmons, and and then the artwork by Dubish and uh, Walton, uh, uh, those action scenes are well presented. They uh, they uh, tell you what you need to know, leave a little bit of room for the imagination. Uh, chariot races, for example, uh, bareback horse racing, and. Uh, <laughs> feeding the um, the the uh, audience to the lions <laughs> yes feeding the audience to the lions on a slow day at the arena uh, <laughs> yeah. although and, and other things too those things are all presented oh some of the majesty of rome the the, the great buildings and and the structures coliseum that sort of thing are seen in there it's all very uh, yeah those, very, that, very epic. i think that was the one part of brit of rome that brit was impressed with was their was their architecture he said he said he was impressed. So he says mm -hmm. he's impressed. That tells me he's impressed. Yeah. So um, now I remember when just when I posted a review of this on your Facebook group for the love of all things Edgar Rice Burroughs, mm -hmm. I said that I thought of it as a fictionalized biography of Caligula. And mm -hmm. the Richard Lupoff quote I read earlier kind of says the same thing. Ooh. Tom Simmons, who wrote the comic strip, was very kind to reply to that. Mm -hmm. And say that he thought of it as uh, the book is mainly the love story between Brit and Attica wrapped around that biography. Mm -hmm. So, if you guys were had to pick one, Brit's story or Caligula's biography as being the primary theme, um, which one would you take? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I've always thought of this book as historical, yeah, historical fiction. Mm -hmm. which is akin to the first thing you said but yeah Burroughs certainly is a romanticist at heart most everything most everything he's written has got a, a love story of some kind in it there may be some exceptions but I sure can't think of any so you know there's going to be romance at least I expect to see romance in a, in a Burroughs story and we have it here mm -hmm. uh, if I have to choose only one and we know how hard that can be yeah then I will opt for historical fiction, but I say it's a it's a close call. Go ahead, Scott. It is. It is a close call. Yeah, I would. Um, I I I see it both. Um, you know, the uh, uh, central theme being historical biography, um, mm -hmm. fictionalized of Caligula, and also when you mentioned that a love of brotherhood and, and love story wrapped around three characters. Well, I actually look at more as if you want to call it the traditional hero's journey. He's writing down his notes to give to his kids and his grandkids to his son, saying, this is what happened to me growing up. These are things you may or may not expect to know, but this is what influenced me. Uh, although completely different, uh, another book like that, make um, uh, Little Big Man, you know, where these are, they're not all connected. They jump around in different years, but these are highlights. These are in influential patterns and experiences in my life and uh, which has brought me to this point I, I love that I hadn't thought about that but yeah looking at it as at his here as a hero's journey is another legitimate way of looking at it um, I think in the end all those aspects of the book are important to make it what it is 
So um, they're all vital to it, whichever one we pick is like the main theme. Carefully woven blanket. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's, Burroughs was always good at plot construction and weaving different plot threads together. And I think that's really uh, highlighted here in this novel. But I'm glad you all brought up a uh, hero's journey. Yes, something I should have said. Um, so I'm glad you all mentioned that. Generally, the, the uh, Burroughs stories fit the hero's journey litmus test very well. And litmus test is my term for identifying hero's journey, but uh, it certainly applies here. So I'm glad you all mentioned that. Okay, well, that brings, we're coming up to the end here. Uh, do you have any other last comments on uh, I Am a Barbarian? I think we've done a pretty good job of covering it. Well, I'm, I'm gonna mention something just cause being from another generation <laughs> and remembering some of the literature and movie history going on uh, for people who may not be as familiar with some of the Roman empires or the name Caligula. Uh, about 40, about 50 years ago, there's a movie called Caligula, which was very gratuitous. I've not seen it. I read enough about it. In fact, I don't think I was old enough to go see it when it came out, but it was produced by Bob Guccione, who used to be a publisher of, of Penthouse. And um, they took the character, the historical character Caligula, what many people thought of or knew of him, to make this complete, huge multi-sexual orgy of death and killing and every hedonistic type of, some people might call it pleasure, mm -hmm. uh, entertainment <laughs> that they might do incorporated it. And that naturally brought people back then, the name Caligula brought that thing up, mm -hmm. like of this completely demented, over uh, sexualized, over death, uh, uh, killing appetite, God, I don't know what other phrases you, that this emperor was. You know, he along, I mean, yeah, you got people like Nero and other things that there is a, and I'm not picking on the Roman Empire. You can read okay. about whether in Asia or Eurasia or Europe or you know, all over the world of different kingdoms and leaders and stuff. But uh, there is that point in the Roman history where the uh, it's very well known for the corruption and for the uh, deviation and a wanton lifestyles that went on. But the number one thing most of them tried to keep in mind was self-preservation. And when they let themselves get in into their psyche or into their what they deemed as entertainment and pleasure too deep, that's usually when the tables turned because they, were, they weren't seeing what was happening around them that you know, in, in another day or two, they're gonna be dead. Mm -hmm. so, uh, just that the name Caligula for a long time has brought up the idea of, of complete evil. Yeah, and I think the real life Caligula, probably mm -hmm. along with the Emperor Nero who came a little while longer afterwards, uh, they probably deserve those reputations. Because they they were truly evil men who wielded absolute power and and killed a lot of innocent people just because they wanted to. So, um, so Caligula was not a nice guy. I think we can definitely take that away from from uh, from from the book. So, um, okay. So 
that I just appreciate both of you guys being here for the for this discussion. I think both of you made great points, uh, stuff I hadn't thought of, and I believe this was a worthwhile discussion. And for those people listening who have not read I Am a Barbarian, it's not in print when we're recording this in mid-June uh, 2022, but hopefully we have hopes it will be soon since the, the, the comic book edition is, is out. Perhaps that will give impetus to republishing the original work. Uh, but if you, even if you have to look for a used copy, it's very much worth reading. Um, it is just a great novel, and we hope we've succeeded in giving you a sense of just how great a story and how thematically rich it is. Um, and that's going to be it for this time. Next time, we will be talking about Tarzan and the Ant-Man, um, which is uh, um, uh, just... Another great Burroughs story, probably is completely different from I Am a Barbarian as you can get, but it is a <laughs> wonderful adventure story. So uh, Scott and Jess, you got, got anything you guys want to say before we sign out? Well, I would certainly like to add a couple more words. As far as I know, I'll be conducting an interview with uh, writer Tom Simmons regarding the uh, webcomic edition for I Am a Barbarian, a book that is very much out and available. Uh, we'll be talking, spend a few minutes talking about how that came together and some of the and some of the uh, challenges there that, that they overcame. Uh, that's uh, I am Barbarian from uh, CedarRunPublications.com. This is a web comic, meaning it is very much illustrated, but it also I think captures the flavor of the story. CedarRunPublications.com. That is one word. C C is in cat, E is in Earl, D is in dog, A is in apple, R is in Robert, R is in Robert. U is in Ulysses, N is in Nancy, P is in uh, publications, then U is in Ulysses, B is in Bob, L is in uh, licorice, I is in interesting, C is in cat, A is in apple, T is in Tom, I as in Irving, O is in uh, oh, 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 um, N is in Nancy, and S is in Sam. CedarRunPublications.com, one word, no blanks, no dashes, no hyphens, no underlines, CedarRunPublications.com. Uh, so be I, sure to pick I, up a copy of this. I will make sure that's in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. I hope you all could understand my my ciphering there on the mm -hmm. uh, how to spell it. Uh, I, I ran out of 26 letters in the alphabet. That wasn't enough. Uh, but anyhow, enjoy this. Oh, so be on the lookout for my interview with Tom. That'll be coming up soon, as, as, as we say. And, uh, it, and certainly enjoy tonight's session as always. My, my, my gratitude to both of you. Thank you. Uh, Scott, anything you want to say or plug before we? Yes, thank you for having me along on this ride. Uh, I knew when we talked about doing this book months ago, we're going to have a fun time uh, uh, discussing it. And I hope uh, the listeners out there enjoyed it too, because it, it really is a, a different approach uh, for uh, Burroughs and, um, uh, and a very enjoyable one. Okay. And uh... Uh, finally, my name again is Tim DeForest. Um, you can find my blog at Comics Old Time Radio and other cool stuff and find a link, link to my books there, uh, which you can purchase and make me rich beyond the dreams of avarice. And we will be back soon uh, with another full length episode. And also I will try to do more of the mini podcast where we talk about adventure writers who were contemporary to Burroughs or may have been influences, uh, may have been his influences. Uh, well, excuse me there one more thing if i may interrupt uh, yeah. be sure to drop by and visit visit with us on facebook for love of all things edgar rice girls yes always a fun site all right go, uh, go ahead tim continue please that's all well that was it though um so i will see everybody um 
I will see everybody. Well, well you will hear from us soon. Um, uh, bah, you'll hear from us in the future soon. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>